Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest today, Elise Fitzpatrick, has been a friend for a number of years and uh, just a, a, a very influential person in my life. If you don't know who Elise is, uh, she holds a certificate in biblical counseling from CCEF in San Diego and an MA in biblical counseling from Trinity Theological Seminary. And she has authored 23 books on daily living in the Christian life. Her most recent book is uh, Worthy. Uh, celebrating the value of women. And she has a book coming out that's going to be released next year called Jesus and Gender. Uh, the content of both of those books is a lot of what we talk about in this podcast. We talk about her own journey and how she has grown and learned and rethought things and continued to rethink things. This is what I love about Elise is she's a seasoned Christian leader who isn't afraid to kind of rethink what she's always believed, you know, and uh, the last half of this podcast, we get into a lot of how she has kind of rethought and revisited uh, Christianity and women, and we get into the Billy Graham rule that got really interesting, and I just, I so love the spirit and wisdom of this amazing woman of God. So please welcome to the show for the first time, the one and only Elise Fitzpatrick. I'm here with my friend, Elise Fitzpatrick. Thanks so much for being on Theology in the Raw for the first time, which is so sad on my part that this is the first time. This should be like the 10th time, but anyway. <laughs> Thanks, Preston. I'm glad to be with you. So I would love to just talk about your journey. You've been one that as I've kind of watched and admired over the years that you seem to be more open-minded <laughs> the, the older and wiser you get and you're able to rethink and rethink things. And that's just, I personally, that makes some people nervous. I'm sure. Like for me, I just, it's just such an honorable thing. So can you just give us, just give us an overview of your journey and ministry and theology and teaching and counseling and all these things and writing, you know, a gazillion books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I didn't get saved until 19 in, until I was 21, which was in 1971. And when I got saved, uh, I immediately enrolled in Bible college because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. And um, so it's been a learning journey all along. And so 1971, in sort of a charismatic, um, yeah, local church mm-hmm. kind of a situation. And then in the 1980s, um, I began to be more interested in um, reform doctrine mm-hmm. uh, because I knew Preston that when I got saved, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I, it wasn't like I was looking for God, and yeah. He said, "Okay, here I am." He saved me mm-hmm. um, just radically and out of this Southern California debauched lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So He saved me. And then, so I began to um, sort of think about reform doctrine, and then I was introduced to biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. And at that point, uh, the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF, Mm -hmm. had offices here in San Diego. So I began to get training in biblical counseling and 
really from a very um, distinctly reformed perspective. Hmm. And that was where I began to really think about the, you know, doctrines of faith, doctrines of grace, Mm -hmm. and began to write. I began to write at that point, which was like very early 90s, maybe, uh, maybe even late 80s, I began to write, because there really were no resources at that point, for women who wanted to do biblical counseling. It was really a a very male genre. So I began to write, uh, the first thing I wrote was Women Helping Women. Hmm. And then from there, um, so so then I'm progressing along. And Hmm. I'm in biblical counseling circles. Hmm. And then I want to say, maybe the early 2000s, I have a group of friends who basically jumped me and said, <laughs> uh, Elise, you're missing the gospel. Wow. And I said, you're insane. I know the gospel. <laughs> and they said, no, you're, you're don't, you don't get it. <laughs> and so then they had me start reading Tim Keller. And it was at that point with Keller I don't even think Keller was published then. He had these massive 200-page workbook things that you could download (laughs) from Redeemer. So I started to go through that. And then I I wanted to write a book on the intersection of justification, which I didn't think I knew anything about, really, and I didn't really know anything about, although it was a word that was being used all the time in Christianity. I don't think I could really have defined it. I wanted to write a book about the intersection of justification and sanctification. So justification being God's work in forgiving all my sins and counting me perfectly righteous, And then sanctification of that sort of slow growth into Christ-likeness. All right. So I wanted to write a book like that. And uh, that was the genesis of the book, Because He Loves Me, Mm -hmm. Um, How Christ Transforms Our Daily Life, or something. I don't know what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) You've written too many books. You can't remember all the subtitles. No, listen, Preston, you know, they change the titles. They make up their own titles, right? (laughs) So whatever it is, I I knew, I know it's called Because He Loves Me. All right. And it was there then that I I spent maybe a year Hmm. reading books about the gospel, Hmm. about God's love for me in Christ. Hmm which I'll be honest with you, this is a terrible thing to admit, but I used to think that people who talked about God's love for us in Christ, they were kind of the pansies of Christianity. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So like if you're, if you're really serious about your Christianity, then you, you say, oh, yeah, gospel, blah, blah, God's love. Yeah, that's all really great. And then you move on huh. over into all the things that you're supposed to be doing to get your act together. 
Hmm. And honestly, that's that's where I had spent like the first decade or couple of decades of my Christianity. Hey, friends, I want to invite you to consider attending the first ever Theology in the Raw Exiles in Babylon Conference, March 31st through April 2nd in Boise, Idaho. That's 2022. You can attend in person, which is going to have its advantages because we're going to have a massive after party on Friday night. You get to hang out with other people, get to know the speakers, get to ask questions live at the conference. If you can't attend in person, you can also attend virtually all the info is at pressandsprinkle.com. Space is limited, so you want to sign up soon if you plan on attending in person. Loads of awesome, awesome speakers, including Jackie Hill Perry, David Platt, Thabiti Anubwile, Derwin Gray, Ellie Bonilla, Evan Wickham, John Tyson, Greg Cole, Sandy Richter, Kimi Katiti, and many, many, many others. Worship is going to be multi-ethnic. Everything's going to be, we're just going to mix it up. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about sexuality and gender. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about politics and on and on the list goes. So I will see you in Boise, either in person or online next year. A couple of decades of my Christianity. Did, did you, is that in, um... Is that intrinsic to the biblical counseling movement? Or let, let me let me not say it is. Let me back up a little bit. Um, okay. For people that, that don't know, when they hear biblical counseling, like that's a specific <laughs> kind of Christian counseling that would be in my from my because I, I was raised in that environment, trained in it. I was in the formula, you know, I took classes and everything. Read Jay Adams, and you know, um, right. It's very very conservative, like. Um, and yeah, it, it does. In my impression, the, the language seemed all great, but it, it did feel like, looking back, it did feel like it put a lot, just a lot on, I don't want to say behavioralism as if it was like works, righteousness, whatever. But I, in my anecdotal experience, it did kind of feel that way looking back now. Um, so that's, you were said that's the environment you were nurtured and trained in. Would you say this is your unique journey in that, or that that really is kind of the air of your experience with that kind of movement and correct anything I'm saying about the biblical counseling movement or whatever, you know? Um. Yeah. So I think that, um, biblical counseling for the first couple decades, um, I want to be gracious. Um, Jay Adams had to fight a war. Mm. He was fighting a war. And so when you go out and you're fighting a war um, in order to establish truth mm -hmm. that, and people are giving you a lot of pushback, then, then you tend to be very cut and dried about things. Um, because Jay did all of that initial work, then biblical counselors, and, and there are still some people who, you know, live and breathe Jay, and mm -hmm. that's what they think biblical counseling is. Biblical okay. counseling really is a panorama, okay? okay? So you've got that very, very conservative crowd over here, mm -hmm. and then you've got other people. And, I, you know, I would put, like, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, they're sort of there, but they're, you know, they're more nuanced, Okay, I would say. And so part of my journey was to say, okay, yes. And this is the place where the, the nickel really fell in for me, Preston. Mm -hmm. I came to understand that there was a difference between 
the indicatives and the imperatives. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So listen, I grew up in Southern California. I went to school in Southern California. I couldn't have told you what an indicative was to you know save my life. <laughs> but just the difference between the declarations about what God says about us because of the work of Christ and then the obligations, the imperatives, the things that we're called to do because of what Christ has mm. done. And for me, and I think for others, what had been missing in the biblical counseling movement was the emphasis, or more of an emphasis, on the declarations. Hmm. You're forgiven, you're loved, you're counted perfect, you're adopted, you have an inheritance. Hmm. All of that and spending a lot of time with all of that and then saying, therefore, mm. live mm. this way. Be who you are. Mm. And that, that was a place where I, you know, I turned that corner. And I think that there is a, a good number of people who are, who would call themselves biblical counselors, but who are not maybe where I was okay. when I first learned it or who are not, would not be um, part of what they would say would be that very, very right leaning conservative yeah. group. Is that, so what's the relationship between biblical counseling and nuthetic counseling? Are those the same thing or is nuthetic? Same thing. They're the same thing. Okay. But, but that word, even that word nuthetic, that word is being used by that, primarily by that very, very conservative group that's what I, now. That's the impression I got, yeah. Okay. But there are loads of biblical counselors who don't even use that word. Okay. It's, it's, that word has baggage now. <laughs> and so, so, you know, there's a lot of people trying to get away from it just because of the baggage. There's a lot of people who are trying to get away from it because that word, you know, nuthetic really means confront. Yeah. You know, it means to <laughs> confront people with uh, with their sin. That's it. that's the counselor I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, come on over. <laughs> so, uh no. Um that you know, that word nephetic, I, I mean, nobody's really even using it very much anymore. Okay. Um but the people who are still think that really the what the the point of counseling a lot of it is to help you see the ways in which you're failing and to help mm -hmm. you grow mm -hmm. in your sanctification okay what would all sorry i was That's lots of fine. questions i'll try to limit it because i really want to get to kind of your current work but um yeah uh it, would all biblical counselors understanding that this is kind of a spectrum would they all be against any sort of integration of psychology? Would that be a common thing? Or even that would some other, some people be more open to that? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think that that's the case. Now, again, those people that are very, very conservative, right. They would say no, okay. no integration. Other people, I was just talking yesterday with Eliza Huey. I don't know if you mm -hmm. know her or not. She is, um, 
she's a biblical counselor and but she's also a licensed therapist hmm. and um so there's numbers of people like okay. that and um i there's there's more of a there's more of an acceptance a growth that that would say okay we know that scripture has answers for how we love god and our neighbor mm -hmm. but we also know that psychology is case-wise. Hmm. They see things and they can help us, but they don't help us in the sense that uh, Christians know how to define, Christians know our anthropology. Mm -hmm. We know how to define uh, who we are and, and we know who God is and what he requires. Mm -hmm. So um, your question is, it, it, again, there's a group of people over here that would say, you're not doing biblical counseling if you're integrating any psychology or any psychological methods at all. Okay. And then there's a group over here that would say, oh yeah, there are things we can learn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, like trauma-informed yeah. counseling. I had a big eye-opening, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just for example, trauma-informed counseling. Mm. I think we can learn from uh, psychologists, people with a lot of uh, case wisdom, how to better counsel people who've been traumatized or abused. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I remember, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I was, I guess, nurtured in the strong neuthetic kind of camp of the biblical counseling movement where any integration was seen as really wrong and bad. And, um, yeah. and the way they framed it was, you know, we, we shouldn't blame shift our sin. You know, psychology just kind of makes all excuses. It has a secular worldview, all this stuff. I'm like, oh man, yeah, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. You know? <laughs> but then right. I remember a, year, a few years later when I was, um, I was teaching at Cedarville university, very conservative school. Yes. You know, maybe, <laughs> Uh, we used to call it, you know, just, just to the left of masters, maybe <laughs> I, I, who knows, but, yeah. but they had a strong Christian s uh, psychology department and day one, they were very much like, yeah, we're, we're not neuthetic. Like we do whatever. And, uh, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like I thought I was at a Christian school, you know, why they, <laughs> but I remember talking right. to the Christian counselors there and they just oozed scripture. Um, yeah. their counseling sessions began with prayer. They'd open up the Bible. They would go to the Bible. Yes. And I was really shocked. Yes. It's like, I, I thought you people didn't even read the Bible and they they were zero excusing sin. It was nothing yeah. but integrating psychology to help people understand and get over sin. And it just wasn't at all the paint, the picture that was painted. And that it was one of my several deconstructing kind of moments in my yeah. Christian journey. The classic case of like the very thing that you were taught to, was super bad and evil just when you actually get to know that thing it's might not be that so yeah um so yeah anyway it, it so it sounds like that's actually helpful so when i hear biblical counseling today i shouldn't e just equate it to new thetic. No. That's okay that's super right. helpful okay. yeah not at all and i would even say particularly and you can find out where people got their training mm. that would be helpful or if they are members of a certain association what okay. associations are they members of? Um, because there are loads of people who are doing biblical counseling who are not there. Okay. 
at that other place. Okay. Okay. Well, tell, so uh, let's sum up your last maybe 20 years in your journey. So you had this <laughs> kind of revolution of, of understanding grace. I, that My yeah. revolution probably came maybe about 12 years ago where it, it, it was that, like I knew the lingo, yeah, but it just never, it didn't sink in and it was clear in the way I was living or the way I'd view my, my own sin in relation to grace, where it still was very transactional. Yes. Um, I don't, I didn't, I don't think I functioned truly believing that 100% of my sin is paid for at the cross. Like I still felt like there was about 10 or 20% that I needed to atone for practically. Yeah. Even now, you know, I, yeah. I bump my head and I'm like, oh shoot, that's because I, you know, yeah. God made me do that Didn't because do he just needs to keep <laughs> spanking me every now and then, you know, because Jesus is, Atonement wasn't enough, really, you know, and and yeah. uh, it, it just and a lot of the same people that you encountered, I think, where where I was listening to, I'm like, yeah, man, they, I just, I feel like the light was not fully on, you know. Um, can you? I would love for you to unpack just how you were thinking through just a, a really full orbed understanding of grace. Yeah, so I'm I'm where you're at. I mean, I've written now at this point probably ten books. Uh, about the intersection of mm. grace and our daily living. Mm. And every day, you know, I, I bump my head and I say the same thing. <laughs> you know, well, I should have done my devotions this morning. <laughs> okay, like that. I mean, I, I, I will say, though, Preston, I will say that as I've grown in, as God has enabled me to grow in my understanding of my union with Christ and how everything that he did, um, he did on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that it's getting better. <laughs> and, um, and, and the sort of worry and anger and fear that used to be driven by my, I've got to get my act together mm-hmm. and so do you-ness, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that has really been drained away. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, mm, take that back. I, I flatter myself. A lot of that yeah. has been drained away. So, um, so it is transforming me. But I think, Preston, we are all by nature hardwired legalists. Mm, yeah. Right? And so even though I really trust that all of my sin, past, present, and future, has already been forgiven, Mm -hmm. and all of God's wrath for all of my sin has already been poured out on his head, and that when he looks at me, he counts me as obedient as Christ was for me. Mm-hmm. And I believe all of that. But sometimes I get this niggling feeling that he's just kind of disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just so built into us. I mean, in even our Christian culture, but even our secular culture too. Like we're, yeah. especially the last yeah. few years, it's become our secular culture is so graceless. Yeah. We live in a meritocracy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there's no forgiveness and, um, you know, and if you forgive people, you know, I, I mean the, the whole thing is just so wonky. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just keep trying to press that into my own heart and, um, and, and try then to look at the things that um, I'm concerned about, the things I see in the culture from the perspective of Jesus Christ has got me, he's going to keep me, and I need to give this freedom to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I'm at. Hey, friends, if you've been enjoying the content on this podcast, would you consider supporting it through Patreon? You can go to patreon.com forward slash the Algin support the show for as little as five bucks a month and get access to Patreon only Q&A podcasts, get access to the Patreon Theology in the Rock community and support the show. If this show has blessed you, encouraged you, challenged you, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Rock. All the info is in the show notes. And I need to give this freedom to other people. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Well, fast forward okay. to your current. Uh, yeah. You've been rethink, rethinking, can I say? I mean, the relationship, yes. the, the, the role of women in... Mm-hmm. In in the church, um, is that the yeah. best way to frame it? Or yeah, tell I, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even I haven't read your latest book or um, song. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where you're at <laughs> yeah. on all these questions. But we'd love to hear your journey. <laughs> I don't know where I'm at yeah. half the time, so it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a, I'm I mean, a safe you know. voice. Here. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to say about four or five years ago, maybe longer at this point. Um, I started to become aware of the fact that I had lived within a structure of white institutional racism (laughs) that I was completely blind to. I mean, utterly blind to it. Mm. I live in Southern California. Actually, I live in Escondido Mm -hmm. and Escondido is 80% Latino. Oh, wow. And it never once occurred to me that I got to live the way I got to live because I am, I am a white married woman mm. in Southern California. Okay. So from there, and as part of that, I began to see, and I, and honestly, Preston, I had seen this for a while, but it never really came home to me how as a woman, in a conservative church, how I had been, um, how we have been treated. Hmm. Talked to a woman, um, was actually interviewing a woman. And uh, I mean, this is a woman with a post-grad theological degree uh, who worked in uh, probably academia. I can't remember. I'm old. I don't have any memory. <laughs> and she said that with the men in her department, she was either ignored or objectified. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> so then I began um, this journey of trying to bring freedom and truth and value to women Hmm. in 
the conservative church. I've been in a conservative church my entire Christian life. I don't know anything else. Um, and then about that time, I read a blog. Um, it was actually a series of tweets that was turned into a blog by Eric Shoemaker huh. on the first things in Scripture that were done by women. Hmm. And, you know, it's like the first... <laughs> The first declaration of um, the gospel was given to a woman. Hmm. Uh, fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> the first woman who preached the resurrection, the first person who was commissioned to preach the resurrection was a woman. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we talked to him. We interviewed him. And uh, I said, you know, you really ought to write a book about this because it's really good stuff. Hmm. And he said, yeah, let's. And so we did. We wrote the book Worthy, hmm. celebrating the value of women. Mm -hmm. And what we did then was we began in Genesis, went all the way to the book of Revelation, and said, these are the women who were integral to redemption's story. Mm -hmm. And you know, drawing drawing some drawing some um, perspectives from that, but just basically saying, "Hey, look at this! Look at this! Look at this! Look at this! This is how God moved forward, moved redemption forward, and women were a huge part of it." Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have to ask, "Well, why didn't I ever hear that story before?" Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to a man who's a, been a pastor for 40 years and he said he read the book and he wept because mm. he never saw it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think a lot of us are doing those kinds of things these days saying, wow, I never saw it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, really wanting, really wanting to develop a, Theology of men and women that isn't straight-jacketed by the way things once were, and just say, okay, actually, what does the actually actually what does the Bible say? Hmm. Instead of saying. Okay, well, traditionally it's been this. And then Preston, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. Keep going, keep going. You got the mic. <laughs> and then and then really pushing hard back against these lies that women are more easily deceived than men. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Yeah. I mean, over and over, it's not biblical. It's it's not true. Hmm. Women are by nature usurpers, hmm. and some translations of Genesis three say that yeah, what women women are always trying to usurp the husband's role. 
Oh yeah. Okay. And she will lord so, it over you that passage. Yeah, 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 yeah. That see, that's that's not a that's not a proper translation, right? Yeah. At all. Yeah. So that, and that women, <clears throat> women are always out for your body. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me laugh. <laughs> I wish. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's like. Um, I should have said that. I'm, I'm going to have to edit that out. That was sorry. <laughs> Sometimes my mind goes faster in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, men should never spend any time. Pastors should never spend any time with women mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Billy Graham rule. Yeah. And see what the Billy Graham, and I understand that, but what the Billy Graham rule does is it shuts the door hmm. on women who want to have relationship and discussion and fellowship with their brothers, mm-hmm. but they can't <laughs> because... You know, you must never spend any time talking about anything unless your wife is there with another woman. And listen, Preston, I've been around the block. I know enough about how many people have fallen. But I got to say this. I think part of that has to do with this wicked paradigm Hmm. that women uh, women are out to get your bod. (laughs) <laughs> women women are seductresses mm-hmm. to be avoided that i think along with porn use mm. really bleeds into what we see when guys fall mm-hmm. because they're coming at this rather than saying this woman is my sister mm-hmm. i mean unless you're really odd you don't have, let me rephrase that and unless you're um, unless you're given to a certain kind of um, propensity, you don't look at your sister and say, "Gosh, I want to hop in bed with her." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys oh. are taught, and a lot of times in seminary, to think about women makes them think that makes them have those kinds of ideas Hmm. rather than thinking this is my sister. Mm -hmm. How can I partner with my sister? And then one more thing and I'll let (laughs) (laughs) I've got so many thoughts. Keep going though. Keep going. (laughs) Is, you know, in the garden, God said that it wasn't good for the man to be alone. And I want to say this. I don't think that just has to do with marriage. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that has to do with the church. Hmm. And in most churches, many, I, I let me rephrase that. In many conservative churches, the, the pastors, the guys are alone because mm-hmm. they look at women, as uh, Rachel Green Miller says, as throw pillows. You know, they're nice to have around, they decorate nicely. They add a little color, but they're not really necessary for the mission. Hmm. And see, the mission has changed. The mission has changed. Whereas the mission 
in Genesis was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. That now has changed in the New Testament to the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. Partner together and go forward Mm -hmm. with the gospel together Mm -hmm. as brother and sister, which is why in the Old Testament, what you hear about women is how pretty they are and how many children they have, particularly sons. You don't hear about that at all in the New Testament. Hmm. In the New Testament, Paul and Jesus partner together with women, co-workers, mm-hmm. for the sake of the gospel. Hmm. It's changed. I don't think that's seen. Hmm. This is so good. I, where, where do, where do, let, let me just ask a couple questions. Um, okay. The whole, like, women are more easily deceived. Uh, and yes, that that's the air I breathe growing up in the church. I think it is there. What, what do you, I, I forgot the exact wording of first Timothy two. Um, I, it wasn't yeah. like for, it was the woman he who was, was deceived, deceived or whatever. Like how, right. how do yeah. you, cause I think that might be the biblical passage from which mo- well, men and women really, but it didn't yeah. where they've gotten that idea. How would you explain that passage? I, I don't think that Paul is, Okay, assuming that I have a very conservative perspective on that passage. Yeah. I don't think that what Paul is saying, all right, women shouldn't teach because they're easily deceived. I think what Paul is saying is these are the facts of what happened. And given and in light of what's going on in emphasis at that time, okay, where women were... Um, we're not thinking about themselves as being deceived. Paul's mm-hmm. just saying Eve was deceived. He's not saying all women are deceived. See, why would Paul, who in 1 Corinthians 11, who tells women to pray and prophesy, whatever yeah. you want to do with that word, but pray and prophesy publicly in church, tells them how to dress when they do that, Why would he then say, yeah, they're easily deceived? Or why would he tell women to teach other women? If, in fact, they are easily deceived, they should just not teach anybody. Mm. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Wow. And I guess I'm just trying to – I constantly play devil's advocate myself, so I'll try to do so with you to make it interesting. Um, Well, I don't know. (laughs) Like, because he – Go. He – he does make kind of a categorical categorical statement about I do not permit yeah. a woman to teach. And let's just yeah. even assume, I guess, a more egalitarian reading that it's more specific to that Ephesian context. He yeah. still is saying the women there, yeah, sh- you know, shouldn't teach her because Eve was deceived. So it's almost like he's grounding this logic in what, like Eve as kind of the prototype of women. <laughs> yeah. And kind of, I don't know, like I, it's, it's hard to, I could, I guess, I could see where somebody could think that Paul himself, and maybe this is where people say, "Yeah, Paul's a misogynist, and that's why we shouldn't." Yeah. But, but I could see where someone would get that logic in Paul's very logic that he, Paul thinks that women are intrinsically deceived, and even if we do root it in, well, the women of Ephesus might be, you know. Um, but your counterclaim, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Um, 
there's obvious examples throughout scripture where that's not the case of other women. So, right. Um, right. Okay. So, um, um, and again, let me just whisper, I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to like, no, do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Do it. Okay. <clears throat> you know, who was teaching in emphasis was Priscilla. <laughs> okay. So Priscilla and Aquila, and he never, it, it, it's not, it's, it, which is why, and maybe that makes me egalitarian. Let me let me back the bus up for just one second. Yeah. I don't want to use that word. Yeah. I don't want to use the word complementarian. I don't want to use the word egalitarian. There's way too much baggage. It's way too much stuff that goes on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let me say that, though. When I read that passage in Timothy, I personally think that Paul is addressing a specific situation in Ephesus where women are worshiping the goddess Diana, mm-hmm. who is the goddess of fertility, mm-hmm. which is why he even talks about you'll be safe through childbirth. childbirth yeah, yeah. Right? You'll be safe through childbearing. What's he talking about there? I mean, mm-hmm. why talk about childbearing right. as if they're having babies in church or something? <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it's it's got to have something to do with what's going on there in Ephesus. And Paul tells women to teach. So he can't be saying all women are really easily deceived. Right. If that's what he's saying, then he should never tell them to teach at all, nor should he hold church in the first convert to Christianity in Europe, Lydia's house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she's in Philippi. If women are really easily deceived, then Paul really ought to not partner with them. He shouldn't call Euodia and Syntyche his co-laborers. He shouldn't call Phoebe his patron. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a huge word in the Roman world. He shouldn't call women those names if he thinks that they're all easily deceived. Now, are women deceivable? Yeah, of course, as are guys. But I think that they're in Ephesus with the cult of Diana. You've got a specific thing happening where these women who are into that and who think that women were the first created, That's part of the cult of Diana, Hmm. that women are the first ones who are created, um, that he's addressing that Mm -hmm. with these women. Now, that's my personal opinion. Well, it's more than that, though. I mean, that that is a scholarly – as far as I understand the passage, there's many scholars who take that – view yeah. too. So it's not, I think it's more than just your opinion. It's, it's the opinion of many biblical scholars based on historical and biblical research. Um, for, for, so e- even, you know, I, I, I'm constantly trying to hold this tension between maintaining, you know, sex differences and even yeah. general behavioral, um, psychological differences, general, like statistically speaking between men and women, like mm-hmm. you know, the studies, you know, women on average might be more agreeable than men. men. Men on average might be more aggressive than women in certain ways, but those certainly aren't universal. And this is something even who's yeah. a strong, 
essentialist, like, no, it's all rooted in biology, these differences. Um, even the strongest essentialists who are going to agree with that would still say there's always exceptions. I mean, men are taller than women on a statistical average. Doesn't mean every single woman is taller than every single man. That's just not, obviously not true. So right. here's, here's where I run into, even as I try to say, okay, convince myself of a more complementary position, which is what I was raised with. And I truly am. I'm kind of on the fence on all this stuff right now because I haven't done the research. Yeah. But even if I was like, okay, even if, and I'm going to say something, just this is a, yeah, do e- it. even if there's something biologically built into men that would make them better leaders for whatever reason, even if we say that, which is really dangerous to say out loud in 2021, that yeah. still is not absolute. That still is not absolute. Right. It, it may be, right. even if it's 70 or 80% of men, that, that, that there's going to be a 20% or 30% or 40% of women that actually would resonate more with that more masculine, whatever, whatever. So to me, it still doesn't make sense. Even, even if you take a very, cons- not conservative, a very essentialist view of biology, it's for hundred percent, not absolute. So for Paul to rule out absolute, every single woman who is always right. everywhere going to be more deceived, for instance, than men, that doesn't right. make sense um, to me. Right. Um, so that, right. that's kind of where I get hung up even, with these categories, let alone, you know, is that even what the text is saying? You know, let me, let me give you a tiny bit of help there. Okay. Yeah. Because I've read enough stuff that basically the very conservative church would say, well, yeah, women and men are equally created in the image of God, but women and men have different natures. Okay. What? Yeah. They okay. would, they, and which I, Okay. They would say, you know, men have this leading, protecting, um, rational nature, and women have this other nature. But I'm going to give you a verse. I'll give you a verse, brother. That, that, I just have the caveat that even if they're 100% true, that's still not absolute. They can even say right. most men are. That's fine. I, I, I think there could be studies that back that up. But you can't say every single man is that way. That's, that's insane. Here's a verse for you. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> it's from the Christian standard version, which Ooh, I is what that. I, yeah. yes, which is what I read. Okay. Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore he, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in every way hmm. that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. Okay. Mm. Let that soak for a second. Right. Jesus had the nature he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. Listen, Preston, if there is in fact a nature that's different, Mm. that Jesus didn't assume, then I can't get saved. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Because he has to have my nature. Mm. So what is Jesus? Is he the new and better man or is he the new and better woman? Yeah. Or is he the new and better human? human. Yeah. Human who lived and died for me. Therefore, you know, in certain cultures at certain times are there you know, might you say that there are differences? 
You know, even if you talk, even if you say, well, men are taller and bigger, well, we don't know what it looked like in the garden, do we? Hmm. <laughs> so we're making an assumption mm-hmm. that men and women were always different as far as strength to fight and all of that business. Okay. I, that's... <laughs> I. I don't like the if term we, finish, please finish. Sorry. No, I no. Go ahead. No, I'm not going to be the I'm guy who keeps cutting off the woman. So <laughs> 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 I'm already going to get emails for that. You kept cutting her off and no. you show how fragile the masculine, you know, you know, uh, you, pl- you finish, please. <laughs> okay. So, you know, here's the deal. Can, what can we learn from natural law? A lot, but not everything. Hmm. We don't know what Adam and Eve looked like or how over the thousands of years since they lived, Mm -hmm. uh, stronger men, Mm -hmm. whatever, women, Mm -hmm. we don't know how bodies have changed or even how bodies are changed and different in different cultures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at 21st century America or Europe. And we're saying, well, yeah, dudes are like this and women are like this. And that's why, and God made them that when I'm side, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But then I want to bring you back and say, <clears throat> God made humanity and he made humanity, male and female, mm-hmm. one human nature. Now, because I'm embodied, I have, uh, I have the possibility of menstruating and, nur- and, and nurturing a, a human in my body mm-hmm. and giving birth. That shapes me mm-hmm. in what I'm aware of, how I am aware of what people are doing around me. See, because I have this, I have, I I have this propensity to think about others, maybe in ways guys don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But you and I have the same nature, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Preston. If we don't, then Jesus only took a male nature. Mm. And if he only took a male nature, then I'm damned forever. Yeah. I mean, I, well, in, in the kind of perspective you were kind of addressing or refuting when they said men and women have different natures, I, the word nature there is really unhelpful. Um, yeah. We have one human nature. And, and, and again, I would very much maintain sex differences, but there's also a tremendous amount of overlap by virtue of our common humanity. And there is no absolute... Um, relational, personal, psychological difference between men and men and women, or no, even, well, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds of all that, but I mean, there's, there's a lot yeah. of overlap there and nothing's, nothing's really absolute other than our biological sex differences, which is much as yeah. oriented towards procreation. I, I, um, okay, let's go, let's go to the Billy Graham rule. Cause I, I really need, Ooh. so, um, and this is one of those again, where I, I really don't know what I think about it. And let me give yeah. you 
so I'm just going to wrestle out loud. Honestly, would love your counsel here. Like what you said, I absolutely agree with that a fundamental problem and flaw and blind spot has been the missed opportunity of men and women ministering to each other. And it's been this, it's given this perspective, this assumption that women are seductive or they're responsible for male lust or all these just weird things that have been super shameful and dehumanizing towards women. Um, and so I, I hundred percent agree with all that on the flip side. I, I do see the very real, like, and again, assuming a heterosexual, they're both heterosexual, right. an emotional bond that can and often maybe often or does form that could lead to an unhealthy relationship, which could lead to whatever. And, and you even mentioned, you know, yeah, there's, I mean, in almost every case where there's been failure, sexual failure among people at the top or leaders or whatever, where did that begin? Um, typically it began in one-on-one in a room or whatever. And, and so I, yeah. I, and I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying therefore we should reinstitute. I'm just saying like, yeah. I, I don't, how do we not ignore that either? And, and from my, so here, let me just be super raw and real with you. Like I, you know, in the, in the work that I do, you know, I hear a lot of stories of just marriages that maybe look good on the outside, but there's so much lacking there. Men and women are both lacking, you know, in their, they, they, and I think part of it's the idolatry of marriage and this man or woman is going to fulfill yeah. all your stuff. Then when that doesn't happen, then they're disappointed, they're angry at God. And, and then they start having emotional needs that they need to be met. And, you know, I, I is it wrong for me to, even for myself, like to be a little bit cautious meeting somebody else's emotional needs un, unknowingly in a way that could be unhealthy for both of us. How do I balance that with, in a sense, um, I'm getting lost in my words here. How, how do I, I don't know how do we balance this? Because I, again, I agree with everything you're saying with that, but I also see some wisdom in the Billy Graham rule, I think, I, but maybe I'm totally off there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess it, it, there's a couple of things. First of all, I, I guess it depends on what's going on in the conversation. Okay. If in the conversation you're meeting emotional needs, mm-hmm. your words, um, I would be a little careful about that. Okay. Um. I mean, I would say if that's what you're doing, um, that's probably not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm mostly concerned about with the Billy Graham rule is with pastors who will say, I can't meet with a woman to discuss theology or discuss whatever because I just don't ever meet with women. Oh, okay. Not I, yeah. And that, um, I, I, I mean, I think that there are lots of ways for guys to meet with women. You know, and the best way, if if a woman would come to you as a pastor and say, "Hey, I've got this problem in my marriage. I really need some help," then you say to her, "Where are you most comfortable meeting?" Okay. You ask that question, 
And if she says, uh, I'm okay, I'm okay meeting in your office, or no, I definitely don't want to meet with you alone. I want, let's, let's go get coffee or something, mm-hmm. be outside, you know, in public. Um, yeah, do that. But, you know, this is going to sound kind of hard nosed, but I'm just going to say it anyway. And I don't think this of you. Mm-hmm. If you're the sort of dude that, that really can see yourself getting into an illicit relationship with a woman At least real, real easily. Real, hey, real quick, you cut um, out for about 10 seconds. In the past, you, you cut out for about 10 seconds. Can you go back to if you're the sort of dude? Okay. It, the, what you, you said what? after was, was blocked out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know what? Um, I know you can edit this. I think my husband's home now and I think he's on the internet. And so I'm going to ask him. Go kick his um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if he's home. So uh, let me just. Okay. <clears throat> hey, Alexa, <laughs> drop in on Pop's office. Okay. Phil. Hello, my dear. Honey, if you're on the internet, please get off the internet because it's draining the internet a little bit. And, but it's making uh, the stuff break up. <laughs> Thank you. Alexa, stop. This I don't is even remember what I was talking about. Okay. Yeah. So if you're the sort of man. Oh, do you, do you talk to your, yes. Yeah. If you're the sort of man that can really see yourself easily falling into a situation of uh, emotional bonding or sexual sin with a woman, I don't think it's good for you to be in the pastorate. Hmm. Now, (laughs) but that, what sort of, is that, isn't any sort of man possibly tempted in that direction or... Yes, of course. Yeah. But I think that you should know your heart well enough to know. Okay. Or to know your heart well enough in times. This is not a good time for me to meet with women. Okay. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to have a rule that says you never meet with women. Right, right. Okay. It's the hard and fast black and white categorical rule that you're opposed to. So say, say there was... And I'm not going to, I won't use myself as an example, but like says, say there's a pastor who's married, a woman reaches out, wants to meet with them. And let's just say he knew they had a rocky marriage. Let's just say he's got the impression that this woman is attracted to him, not just physically, but just like she really, maybe there's been some kind of possible flirty kind of things. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. Is that where he could maybe, and, and hey, where, where do you want to meet? Oh, I would love to meet in your office. I really want, you know, just, just you alone. Yeah. I mean, yeah. is, is that, is there a place for him to be a little bit cautious in that without being so arrogant? Yeah. Like, cause I could hear people even right now listening. Not every woman's after you. I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, we are still human. We are still <laughs> fallen. We still have yeah. whatever. Yeah. And like I, with the, with the plethora of people in power, any church, yes. non-church, that 
ended end up falling in some way. Like I just don't yes. want to turn a blind eye to that. Um, yeah. So I think the best thing that you could say to her would be, I'd really love to do that with you. And I'd like you to choose an advocate, a, right. another woman to come with you so that she can help me and help you mm. hear what we're actually saying and frame it like that. Mm-hmm. Bring an advocate with you. You have a friend, bring a friend with you. Yeah. That's what, so like for, for me, like I, I, yeah, it, I don't have an office. I mean, it's here in my basement, so it's not like I'm having women over in my basement, you know, but, um, yeah, I, you know, it's That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My wife comes down and all these women in my base. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, meeting in public and stuff. I mean, that's just, you know, especially like go to conferences. Like that's just not, you know, one-on-one meals with somebody who's similar age, whatever. And it's just not a business meeting. It's just kind of, you know, that I'm a little more, I'd rather do that in, in groups. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I, if there's any kind of question or any kind of like, yeah, I'm not hundred yeah. percent sure about this person or even my heart or whatever, like then I'll have my wife come yeah. and, 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 yeah. and it's not because yeah. that could be interpreted in an overtly sexist, you know, old school Billy Grammish way. And it's really not that like, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 think- I Again, I just want to affirm, I hear everything you're saying. I think there has been a lot yeah. of damage done towards women and, and this really, categorical approach in the past. I'm trying not to do that while maintaining some sense of wisdom um, in this. And it's really hard. I think if you, I think if you frame, I think it's the way you frame it. Okay. If you frame it and say, I'd love to meet with you. And my wife is so good at hearing Mm -hmm. what people say, and I'm not that great at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it okay if she comes? Okay. I would like her to come along to help me Mm -hmm. understand. Yeah. 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 No, that's good. That's really good. And yeah, the one thing I, the one thing I really want to make sure is I absolutely don't think even if I did, well, the whole idea that women are intrinsically seductive and it's kind of putting the blame on them for anything that might like that is, I think absolutely wrong not that women can't be seductive but they think that that's like oh no it's it's the women's fault yeah. or it's it's no yeah. she's gonna woo me in or like that's that's ugh. yeah yeah and that's the impression that's, that the billy graham rule is given right i mean is that in the era especially is. you were raised through yes. a lot of that yes yes and that is the impression but that's not just from the billy graham era preston hmm. it's whenever a woman comes and says uh this man uh this pastor uh groomed me and molested me, mm-hmm. abused me, immediately people will say, yeah, but it's your fault. Oh, God. What were you doing in his office? <laughs> okay. Okay. Women who have been raped at Christian seminaries who are disciplined because they were studying with a guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so the stories, I mean, I know you've heard a zillion stories, mm-hmm. but um, that that's that's the reason I push against these mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. as strong as I can mm-hmm. to say women are not more easily deceived. Women are not by nature usurpers any more than men are. Women are not 
seductresses Mm -hmm. any more than men are, you know, on the prowl. Yeah. There are people like that, but that doesn't mean that we make this statement Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. all women being that way. That's what I'm pushing against. Yeah, no, that's good. That's super helpful. Yeah, I've been really, I've just wrestled with this because I, yeah, when I, um, when I, so I'm 45, when I first got saved at 19, really quick, quickly wanted to go into ministry. And, and I, I had a very like flirty personality, like, you know, and I only think a lot of it was in, oh, I, I mean, a teenager, of course, a lot of it was intentional, but even then, like I, yeah, yeah. some of it was not intentional. Even when I would just be me and not trying to be flirty, people would interpret it as being You're friendly. Friend, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yes. Um, and and I remember, I remember getting, to, <laughs> I'll just be totally honest. I, I remember when I got the master's college a year after getting yeah. saved, you know, um, <laughs> and you know, I just come out of the world where it's like, yeah, after work, I would ask a girl like, Hey, do you want to go grab a bite to eat? Sure. Let's go grab a bite to eat. And it wasn't always overly interpreted. Well, now I'm at this conservative Christian college where any kind of attention you give to somebody of the opposite sex and rumor gets out, when are you guys getting married? You know, I'm like, what the, <laughs> and I remember after early on after baseball practice once it was so hungry cafeteria's closed and there was a a girl there we ended up being friends um i was like hey do you want to go you know grab a bite to eat i'll take you know i'll, I'll buy you know go to Chili's or whatever it was and, and yeah the next day it's like rumors all over the place like i'm yeah you know i'm dating this yeah. girl and when when's the wedding i'm like oh my god i was just hungry and she was cool she was cool you know like it, it wasn't even um and so early on i was like whoa this christian culture is kind of weird and then I kept getting wind of all these youth pastors who were either, you know, having sex with youth girls or whatever, or hooking up, or, or, and this is what really freaked me out, teenage women who would, would say stuff that would kind of ruin the reputation of a youth leader, even if there's evidence that it wasn't, it was kind of like she was really into him and was just... And I was like scared to death. So for years, I went, I'm talking like Billy Graham rule on steroids. Like I was just, wouldn't even, you know, I was a youth leader, you know, helping out. I wouldn't even talk to the teenage girls. I would just like ignore them. I was anywhere I was working. I was so Mm -hmm. scared of either, you know, Mm -hmm. me doing something that would be overly interpreted or somebody else would just make stuff up. And I was like, I don't want, I've seen in my context is leaders falling right and left over this. And so I was like, I'm just going to guard myself from mm-hmm. any possible problem here. Um, and I know I went to, I totally went way yeah. too far, and, but that's, that's kind of the trajectory yeah. I was on. And now I'm just trying to think, how can I maintain, you know, wisdom with leaders still falling right and left mm-hmm. um, and, and men using their power to yeah, see, so that's always, it never made sense to me. Women are the seductive ones. Like, no, Power-driven men are the ones who are seducing. Right. Women, I think, at a lot higher percentage. Right. But anyway, that's right. that's the background of why I'm really trying to get the right balance here. But it's tough. Oh, I think you cut out again. Shoot. Are you there? <laughs> um, I think that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We We need to be nuanced. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. hear you now. Sorry. So it's yeah. just a nuance. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a nuance and a judgment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, but when you hear about the guys who've fallen, generally speaking, uh, this isn't just like a one-off. He was having coffee with 
you know, mm-hmm. it was like patterns mm-hmm. of having women in his hotel room, patterns of mm-hmm. seeing women at massage parlors, patterns, you know, of yeah. this stuff going on. Not just like, hey, some woman wants to talk to you. <laughs> you know, uh, so many women that I've talked to, when I talk to them about how they are using uh, their gifts for the Lord, over and over again, I keep hearing them say, so this man really spent time with me talking to me about my gifting or talking to me about theology and really taught me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's what I'm, yeah. that's what I'm dying for. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I've got several friends who are, um, uh, acad- female academics, right. In, in institutions mm-hmm. and, and they say, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's a couple of friends I could think of are like the only female on the biblical studies faculty or yeah. one of two. And like, it's really easy for the guys right. to hang out and go out for drinks after and this, that. Yeah. And it's like, it's just harder for us. Like there's few of us, there's only one of me right. or whatever. And like, where do I get my kind of theological camaraderie? And, you know, um, it's right. just, it's not, not easy, you know, and that's, that we need to change that. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I've taken enough of your time. Uh, tell us about your. Um, so you, your you, your recent book is um, uh, worthy, and then your 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 is it Jesus and gender book that is not out yet that you're working on, or? Yes. Yes, it's it will be out in April. Okay. Jesus and gender living as sisters and brothers in Christ. That'll be out in April. And worthy is celebrating the value of women is already out. So I encourage you and guys. And then we have a worthy podcast. Oh right, okay. And work is it called worthy podcaster? Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. The worthy book podcast, I think, or maybe just the worthy podcast. Awesome. So yeah, if you guys are interested in checking that out, uh, you have a website, leastfitzpatrick.com, right? Or correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you can check out all those resources. Really excited about your Jesus and gender book. I'm sure that's going to stir things up a bit, which is awesome. As you mm. often do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I realized I realized I have far too much glee in being an iconic class. I'm not sure it's good. Well, yeah. That's that's a great reputation to have. Hey, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, yeah, just love love the work you're doing. Keep keep up the great work. 